What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. So glad that you are here. I appreciate each and every person who listens in, who follows on social media. I pray for you guys every single day. Um, If you are following along on social media, we've gone a little quiet for the past few days, just taking a little break there, but we will shortly be back in full force. Um, Today, we continue on in our study of types and shadows, and today we're going to go back to a time before the Passover. We've talked about the Passover and the bronze serpent over the past couple of weeks. We're actually backing up in time before that. Uh, Types and shadows, we've been defining those terms each week. Just as a brief introduction, types and shadows in general are symbolic representations that point to a greater spiritual truth or reality. And we're looking at Old Testament types and shadows of things to come in the New Testament. Old things in the Old Testament that point towards things in the New Testament, namely Jesus. And we're looking at the types and shadows in these stories that we talk about and sometimes something that we also often see in these stories are archetypes. And in case you're wondering, an archetype is something that is a typical example of people or things. And there are many typical examples of people and things in the Bible. Like we talked about in our story with the Israelites wandering in the wilderness last week and how that's just kind of a typical example of how God interacts with people and people interact with God. But, I like to use the word archetype because it sounds so much cooler than saying typical example. Um, In our story last week, Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. They were complaining. God had brought them up to the border of the promised land. He told them to go in and take it. Then they looked in and they said, well, I don't think we can do that. So they had to turn away and they have to wait for an entire generation of Israelites to die away before they get another chance to enter into the promised land. And as they're wandering in the wilderness, they're you know feeling sorry for themselves, just like we often do, a typical example. And they're complaining and carrying on. They're blaming God and Moses for them being in the wilderness when in reality it was just them not doing what they had agreed to do, which was follow the commands of God. And God sent some poisonous snakes among them to help remind them. And the people asked Moses to ask God to remove those snakes, but God did not do that. But he did give them a solution if they were bit. He was saving them from death. He said, look at the bronze serpent and live. And that story, again, it's a typical example of how God does things and how people do things. And today we're looking at a type of Christ from the Old Testament and also an archetype of how belief and faith work. We're looking at Abraham and the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. Abraham, he's the first patriarch in the Bible, very, very well-known Bible character. You might might be able to argue that he's maybe second to Jesus in as far as being known among the different peoples in the world. I read somewhere that uh, it's speculated that over half of the people on the planet Earth today know Abraham, not only know him, but respect him. 
Um, all of the Abrahamic religions would know Abraham well, respect him, Christianity, Judaism, uh, Islam. There's a few others too, as I was researching for this, that I didn't even know existed. There's actually some smaller um, Abrahamic religions. Um, I can't remember the names of them. I know one of them was uh, Samaritanism, which is something I'd never even heard of. But Abraham lived almost 2,000 years before Jesus was born. So he, he lived a long time ago. And God made some very special promises to Abraham. He has quite a legacy. And he's mentioned in almost half the books of the Bible. We're introduced to Abraham in Genesis chapter 11. And then his story actually begins in Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to read a few verses for, from that story, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll start there. We'll, we'll read these verses and we'll go from there. This is when uh, God comes to Abraham and calls him out of his homeland. He says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless them who bless you and curse him who curses you. And you, all families of the earth, will be blessed. Now, Abraham, he's 75 years old when this happened. And God says to him, I want you to pack up all your stuff, leave your home, and you're gonna move to a land that I will show you. And it's a pretty big deal to pack up and move to a different part of the country where you live, even just another town. It's a big deal to do that. But to leave where you're going and not know where you're going to end up is an even bigger deal. If you've ever made a big shift overseas or interstate, you can know what it's like to make a big change. I know for my family and I, when we moved from, well, literally the other side of the globe. We moved from the U.S. to Australia. That was a big move for us. It was a big change to make. So you know what that's like, Abraham, you know, and considering he lived 4,000 years ago, to be an even bigger deal. But a question that often comes up in my mind, and the same does for Abraham, like a lot of Bible characters, is why does God choose who he does? Um, why Abraham? You know, he came from a part of the world known for idol worship, um, I think uh, there was a moon goddess there. I can't remember the name of that particular moon goddess though off the top of my head. I'm sure somebody out there knows what it is. Probably shouting shouting at me saying, this is what it is, but I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Um, but Abraham came from the part of the world that was known for idol worship. His family was very involved in it. And there's a Jewish tradition that says his father actually owned a shop that sold idols. That's a tradition, so I don't know if it's true, but it is certainly possible. Abraham, 75 years old, when God called him out of his homeland, and that's not an ideal time to be starting your life over, 75 years old, but God made some very significant promises to Abraham that are still very important to us today. He promised Abraham blessings. He promised him protection. And he promised him a legacy. Abraham's life, quite an adventure. He really did, yeah, get out, see some things, do some things, had, had quite an adventure. He went to live in Egypt for a while to avoid a famine. When he arrived in Egypt, he asked his wife Sarai to say that she was his sister, which seems like a very strange thing to do. 
And the reason he did that is because she was so beautiful that Abraham was afraid the Egyptians would kill him so they could take her, probably afraid that uh, Pharaoh would have him killed so he could take his wife. But she must have been uh, quite the beautiful woman if he was that concerned about that. But Abraham's son, Ishmael, was born to Hagar, his wife's handmaid. Uh, the Arab nations we know today are descendants of Ishmael. Certainly a tremendous amount of history there. Uh, a lot of it is difficult history. That Abraham also saw the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God made a covenant with Abraham that he would give his descendants the land of Canaan. And God also promised Abraham he'd make a great nation out of his descendants. And there's a lot of New Testament theology and doctrine and things that come along with that. God made that covenant with Abraham when he was 99 years old and his wife, Sarah, wasn't able to have children. But when Abraham was 100 years old, he and Sarah had a son. She's 90, Abraham is 100 so Isaac is a pretty special son. His birth was miraculous in the sense that God had intervened for his birth to be possible. And this is his promised son. He's going to carry on you know, his covenant with Abraham through this son. And as life goes on, it seems very, very illogical, very strange, very weird that God would later tell Abraham to sacrifice that very Son, and this is a very strange event in the Bible. It's a bit of a, it's an anomaly. Uh, human sacrifice is not part of the worship of God in the Old or the New Testament. So it's a very strange thing for God to tell Abraham to do, and it's not easy to understand. And because it's not easy to understand, people might write this event off or criticize it without really making an honest effort to understand what it's really about. And one thing to think about in this story where God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, this is not a story uh, you would include in a book if you were trying to convince people that this was a book to follow. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle with this particular story. And sometimes people do so without making an honest effort to understand what it's really about. But to understand it properly, we have to look at it in the greater context of Scripture. You have to put it in perspective with the entire Bible. And as we do that, we're going to do that a bit today, but as you do that, think about first, let's think about, try to put yourself in Abraham's shoes and imagine how he felt about God telling him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. I mean, if you've got kids, you'd be like, what, why on earth would I do that? Well, and there's a question. There's two immediate questions come to my mind when I think about this scenario that Abraham's in. One of them is, why would God tell Abraham to do that or ask Abraham to do that? And the second one is, why would Abraham be willing to go through with it? The Bible has a lot of passages that are difficult to understand. They take some work, they take some thought, they take some meditation. And one of the challenges in understanding scripture is the, you know, the time and cultural difference between then and now, massive cultural differences 
the Bible is always relevant in all cultures, but we do view scripture through modern Western eyes, at least if you're in a modern Western country. And, you know, one example of that is when Abraham bargains with God to save Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a, in that story, you can read about it, there's a long discourse between God and Abraham. And, you know, as God says, he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham says to God, well, what if there's 50 righteous people in the city? Would you destroy it? And God says, no, if there's 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. And Abraham says, well, what if there's 45 righteous people? And then they, they go back and forth, back and forth until they get down to 10. And then they agree there that, you know, if there's 10 righteous people, God says he won't destroy it. But even at the beginning of that conversation, you know, I, I think that God and Abraham both know where they're going to end up. It's just the polite way to interact, the cultural way to interact with each other at the time. You can see the same, same thing, the same kind of interaction when Abraham buys a burial plot for his wife, Sarah. He goes to the guy and says, hey, I need a plot of land. Can I buy a plot of land from you to bury my wife? And the guy says, oh, you can just have it. And Abraham's like, no, 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 we can't do that. How much for it? And the guy says, well, the land is worth this much, but what is that much among friends? And they go back and forth and back and forth until they finally agree on a price. And, you know, again, I think they probably both knew where the conversation was going to end up. It was just the cultural way to be polite at the time. Well, back to Abraham and Isaac. Another question we might ask, along with why would God tell Abraham to do that? why would Abraham do it, is why is the story even here? Like I said, this really isn't the kind of story you would include uh, in a book if you wanted people to uh, believe the book, follow it, think it was a good book to follow. There are several reasons for this story to be here, and we're going to talk about a couple today. One thing we can learn from this story is the difference between belief in God and believing God. Two very, very different things. The difference between a belief in God, like, oh yeah, I guess it God exists somewhere, and placing trusting faith in him. Two very different things. Now, for Christians, we have a trusting faith in God. We need to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, to be reconciled with God. But in day-to-day -day life, we still trust God. Or, well, we, we try to trust God. And it's easy when things are good to say, I trust God. It's easy to do that when things are good, when we feel blessed and can look back at where we've been and see where God has blessed us, where he's taken care of us. We say, God can be trusted and I imagine the Israelites looking back on the far shore of the Red Sea after they have crossed over and dry land and they're watching the Egyptian, Egyptian army drown in the Red Sea. And they're saying, well, look at that. God can be trusted. But then, well, a short time later, they're worshiping a golden calf. Again, that's a typical example of kind of how people act. Most of us can probably think back on a past experience and say, God has delivered me. God's been good to me. God has blessed me. God has seen me through. God has taken care of me. God can be trusted as we look back. Then we turn and we look at what we're going through right now, or we look at something that's coming in the future. 
And when we do that, it's much harder to say, God will deliver me. God will see me through. God will take care of me now and into the future. It's easy to look back and say, I trust God. It's more difficult to look forward and say, I trust God. I'll, I'll just, I'll give you an example of what I struggle with. Um, I look back into the past and I look at the financial situation in the church I pastor. When I first came to the church, we were really struggling financially. We had to take up special offerings to pay the water bill and the power bill and things like that. It was, it was pretty rough. And I look back on those times and I think, well, God brought us through all of that. You know, he can be trusted and it's, it's good to look back on those things and see that. But then I turn and I look at the budget for the upcoming year and I think about insurance costs and, you know, property taxes and rates and the rising price of everything. And I, you know, should say, well, God got us through then. He'll get us through now. God was faithful then. He will be faithful now and on into the future. But usually what happens first is my mind spools itself up and, and worries me. And I start to think, how are we going to pay all these bills? So, it's easy to look back, say, I trust God, but it takes some conscious thought and some conscious effort to say, I trust God now and I trust him going forward. And that's a typical example of the Red Sea. You know, seeing God drown the Egyptian army, saying God can be trusted. And then a few days later, worshiping a golden calf. Now, how to deal with situations like that is one of the things we can learn from Abraham and one of the reasons God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac is so that we have this story and we can learn from it. That's one of the reasons. And as Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, he's looking at what's happening now and what's going to happen in the future while drawing on his past experience with God and saying, God's been trustworthy in the past. He's still trustworthy now and he's going to be trustworthy going forward. Abraham's walking by faith. Abraham's trusting God as he moves forward without knowing exactly what's going to happen. As Abraham is headed away from his camp early in the morning, taking his son Isaac away to sacrifice him, uh, no doubt this was not an easy thing for Abraham, but he could look back and see that God had kept his promises yesterday. And, you know, the, his son Isaac is, is proof of that. We all do that. What Abraham does right in this story is that he believes God will keep his promises today and tomorrow and going into the future as well. And like I said, his son Isaac is evidence to Abraham that God keeps his promises. He's a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And as they come close to the place where Abraham is supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac, he tells the other men who, are, who have traveled with him, he says, you guys stay here and, and wait. And the Bible says, tells us about this moment in Genesis chapter 22, verse five, it says, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey the boy and I will go over there and worship and then return to you. When you read that, you see Abraham saying that both of them will be coming back. And this is an archetypical example of the difference between believing in God and having a trusting faith in God. Abraham, Abraham not only believed in God, he believed God. 
He'd made him a promise and Abraham believed God would keep it. God said in our text in verse two and three that we read back from Genesis chapter 12, says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless them who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham believed God would keep that promise through his son, Isaac. And we're told that in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19 say, by faith, when Abraham, when he was, but it says by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of him, God said, through Isaac shall your seed be named. He reasoned that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he indeed received him in a figurative sense. Abraham believed God would keep his promise. He didn't know exactly how it would happen. It might require a miracle, but Abraham believed God. The reason it's easier to look back and say God is trustworthy is because we can see what happened in the past. It's easy to look back and, you know, it's already done. It's already over. We can see how things shook out, what happened. We can see what God has done and we can say he's trustworthy because we can see it. Looking at what God has done in the past and saying he is trustworthy is not the same thing as looking forward and saying God is trustworthy because we can see backwards, but we can't see forward. Seeing what has happened in the past and saying God is trustworthy is, well, that's not really trust. It's just a statement of what has happened in the past. If we have to see what God is doing or what he's going to do before we trust him, that's not really trust, isn't it? You think about the situation with Abraham and Isaac. If Abraham said to God, okay, God, I... I, I, I'm willing to sacrifice Isaac. You know, I'm, I'm going to follow through with what you tell me to do, but I want to see how this is all going to work out before I actually put Isaac on the altar. That's not really trust, is it? But this wasn't, you know, Abraham's first rodeo. This wasn't the first time that Abraham had seen God work in his life. He'd seen him do many things. And it took time for him to get to this point, I'm sure, just like it does anybody else. But he had settled within himself and he had settled with God in his own heart and mind and decided that he was going to trust God. And it's not easy to trust God with what's to come, but that's what trusting faith is. And someone's probably wondering, you know, how do you do that? How do I have that trusting faith like Abraham and trust God with what is you know, happening now and the outcome of things and what's going to happen in the future. Well, one thing you do is you decide to act on past experience. The more experience you have, well, the easier it's going to be. And that's a big part of life for a believer, acting on your past experiences. And we're all in different places with that. And it may seem like an oversimplification, but faith is not just to believe in God, but saying, I believe God, I trust him, I trust his plan, and then resting in that plan. That's how people are saved. That's how people come to know the Lord. Um, I think sometimes people, when we talk about salvation, um, expect an emotional experience or some supernatural experience, um, some overly charismatic thing to happen. And 
it's not to say that, you know, the supernatural is not part of that because it certainly is. I mean, being born again is a supernatural thing. But really, it comes down to a point where you trust God. Sometimes, like I say, I think people expect some overly dramatic experience and that's not always the case. I've had the opportunity to lead many people to the Lord in my ministry and it's a little different for folks, but it really is about coming to an understanding about where you stand with God, what Jesus has done and how to be reconciled with God. And then you settle on that. You believe what God says about that. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross because I'm sinful and I need a savior. God provided a savior in his son, Jesus. And I trust God. I don't just believe in God. I believe God. I believe that what he says is true. I trust God that when I leave this life because of the blood of Jesus, I'm going to go be with him. I'm gonna read you a few verses of scripture to back that up. There's others, but I've got three here. Romans talks about this as well, but we're gonna read from Galatians, James, and Genesis as well. Galatians chapter three, verse six says, even Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. James 2.23 says the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. And then back to Genesis chapter 15, verse six says Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Believe God and it's credited as righteousness. God sent his son to pay the price for our sin. And when we believe God and trust Christ, the righteousness of Christ is credited to us. As Abraham and Isaac come to the place of sacrifice, um, Isaac asked Abraham, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? He obviously doesn't know what the plans are here. And Abraham tells Isaac that God will provide one. And in reading this, I think Abraham is prepared to do what God has told him to do. But at the same time, he expects something else to happen, which fortunately it does. God tells him to stay his hand. You know, don't sacrifice your son Isaac. Then in Genesis 22, 13, the Bible tells us, then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And we can learn a lot about faith and trusting God from this story. And that's one of the reasons this story is here. But the reason we're here and the reason we're doing this series is because in the larger context of the Bible, this story points to Jesus. That's why it's here. I've heard the story called a prophetic reenactment, which is kind of an interesting term because you think it's a prophetic reenactment, but how can it be a reenactment of something that hasn't happened yet? But I guess Jesus is the lamb slain before the world. So, but anyway, you could go back and forth about that in a bit of a rabbit hole. But there are several times in the Bible when God asked prophets, told prophets to do something that seemed very strange, but represented something that he was going to do in the future. And this is another cultural thing as well. People sometimes used object lessons to communicate or make a point. And sometimes prophets did more than just speak a prophecy. They actually acted it out in someone. They, some 
some form or fashion. They gave everyone a visual aid. And God told Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah chapter 20, he told Isaiah to walk around naked and barefoot for three years. Uh, Isaiah 23 and four says, the Lord said, even as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and wonder against Egypt and Ethiopia, so the king of Assyria shall lead away the Egyptians as prisoners and the Ethiopians as captives, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Object lessons work well. And I'm sure it seemed very strange for everyone who saw Isaiah wandering around naked for three years. And stories like that make me glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet. But the sacrifice of Isaac points to Jesus. Isaac is a type of Christ in this story. The ram is a type of Christ in this story. He stands in as a substitute for Isaac. Isaac and Jesus are both long-awaited sons, both born in miraculous circumstances. Isaac carries wood on his back as firewood. Jesus carries wood on his back as a cross. Isaac, Isaac, he obediently follows his father to his sacrifice. Jesus obediently follows his father to his sacrifice. God provides a sacrificial substitute for Isaac in the ram. God provides us with a sacrificial substitute in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, his son. The story of Abraham and Isaac points beyond Abraham and Isaac to Jesus, our Savior. And this is a picture of the redemption that God would accomplish through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why the story's here. One of the many reasons, the biggest, most important reason. And we talked about earlier, I mentioned earlier about how this is such a challenging story for so many people. And it's one sometimes people bring up and go, oh, this is weird. What's this about? And it's interesting because nobody has a problem with how the story ends. You know, it doesn't bother anybody. You know, Isaac and Abraham walk away from this. Isaac's unscathed. No problem. God stops Abraham. They just think it's weird that he was asked in the first place. And the part that people struggle with is that God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And maybe just slightly behind that is the fact that Abraham would obey God. But when you put this story in the larger context of scripture, it helps us understand the gospel and what God has done for us. We better understand the peace and freedom of the cross of Jesus through this story. God provided a substitute in the ram for Isaac. And that set Isaac free from being the sacrifice. But if we look at this in a sense that if Abraham can represent God in this story, Romans 8 tells us that God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. So in the case of God and his son, he didn't actually spare his son. He sacrificed him for us. And again, in Romans 8, we're told that through Christ, we have been set free from sin and death. And believers find freedom in the cross because Jesus has set us free from being a slave to sin through the cross. And we can kind of view that. One way might be to look at that if you put yourself in Isaac's shoes and say your hands are tied and you're on the altar and it's you that's being sacrificed, but 
Jesus comes up, he, he cuts your bonds, he sets you free, and he takes your place. And that's really what happens in the gospel. Jesus has taken upon himself what we deserved. And it's always good to remember in that, that it's God himself on the cross. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's God who's paying the price for our sin. The, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Trinity are, they're three in one. It's one God that we're talking about. And Jesus Christ himself is God on the cross. Jesus is shedding his blood for us. He has stepped in and taken our place. And when we place our trust in him, when we believe what God says, we're reconciled with him. We are credited with the righteousness of Jesus, and then we can be reconciled to God, and then we know that we can spend eternity with him in heaven. And I really do hope that that's you. But if it's not, it can be. You can turn to Christ. You can recognize that you're sinful. You can recognize you need a Savior and accept that free gift of salvation that he offers us all. And I hope that is you, and I hope that if you haven't done that, you will do that. But um, until next time, I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 